This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is crossover week. Yes, we got you episodes with the Jags. Um, we're rolling through the AFC South here this week, but we're going to sit down here. Pete wrote a, Pete Smith wrote a great article over on uh, SI um, through Browns Digest. We're going to talk about that, talk about some things going through here in Cleveland Browns-wise. So today's episode of Locked on Browns is brought to you by BuiltBar.com. Uh, new personal favorite, a double chocolate mousse. Uh, another solid one here. So go ahead, check it out. Go to BuiltBar.com. Get a ten dollar, get ten dollars off your first box when you use the promo code Locked On. When you go to www.builtbar.com, definitely highly recommended here. Like I said, we're going to sit down, Pete Smith, talk some Browns things here, talk his article about Baker Mayfield, Pete. And this is certainly where people are at, and it's normal to do the new coaching staff, new general manager. You know, where is essentially you know this rookie quarterback at? Um, we're talking about a young man who went took a team in 2017 from 0 and 16 to the team in 2018, seven eight and one. Um, we're not giving Tyrod Taylor any credit for those uh, any of those wins, guys. I don't want to hear that uh, score of that Jet game. Go back and check it out. Baker won that game. Um, Pete, for me, the thing is, and you know, just with the cockiness and the confidence that Baker Mayfield carries himself with, we definitely saw a different version of Baker Mayfield. In 2019, um, the beginning of the season, you know, it was there. And then as things started to domino, the offense wasn't clicking. The skill wasn't clicking. The defense wasn't able to do enough to offset the fact that the offense wasn't scoring the way everybody felt they were going to. You saw a damaged ego, a, a damaged, a different version of Baker Mayfield, who had been on about, you know, three, four years of just absolute success and you know was essentially able to do say what he wanted because the bottom line is you can get away with anything you want to get get away with as long as you win last year in 2019 when the wins didn't come and Baker is the guy that's going to put almost all of it on himself you saw a different version of a Baker Baker um certainly not the franchise version and the guy that's hopefully going to save this franchise I think he got caught up into it he got caught up into the downward spiral just like everybody else um, but the thing is, is, you know, I just don't see this as a guy that, you know, you see this as the end of the Baker Mayfield story. I think like some people want to believe, I just don't see it. I'm not buying it. Well, so my theory on that is that if you go through his college career in particular, he always had something he had to prove. Uh, he walks on, uh, Texas tech, he doesn't get the scholarship offer. He transfers. He walks on at Oklahoma. He has to prove that. He has to fight for the starting job. And even after he has a a, a good uh, junior season, or he sets a bunch of he sets the record for all time efficiency, um, he has the arrest uh, with the video and people questioning if he's good enough for the NFL and you know how how good can he be for Oklahoma and all that stuff. And you know he was phenomenal, but there's still clearly that edge he had and then he goes into the NFL and in some respects it was the easiest season of football he's maybe ever had in his life uh, which says a lot about his ability but it also sort of may have set him up to sort of be like you know I've worked so hard to get here and holy crap this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be 
and you add in all the things that went along with that, uh, adding Odell Beckham, you know, the, the, the national ad campaigns, getting married, and this is not a shot at getting married. It's just what happened, happened uh, that off season. Uh, you know, I, I think it allowed him to sort of take his foot off the gas slightly and what he thought was working hard wasn't uh, as hard as he thought it was. He gets into the season, you know, they, they, they don't, aren't, they aren't able to sort of just go at any time where, where at the end of the 2018 season, it felt like they were always a threat to score. And I think they felt like that was going to be the case in 2019 and it wasn't working. And they also had a bunch of guys get hurt. You know, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are playing hurt the whole season. Richard Higgins gets injured 10 minutes into the season. David Njoku breaks the scaphoid in his wrist week two. And, you know, it, it just went from there. The offensive line wasn't nearly as effective. Eric Cush was problematic in terms of setting up the pocket. And I think Baker Mayfield was more hurt than, than was let on. Just everything that could go wrong sort of did. And that's sort of where this thing goes. And, and, and for a guy who, you know, has, has used spite and doubt and, and critics and all this to sort of power him and, and drive his motivation, you know, he, he, I, I, I can't imagine he will ever have more than he does right now, which, you know, and this wasn't just him, but, you know, that whole team, you know, sort of, refocused, re-energized, hopefully, you know, with, with a coach they seem to think is more uh, dialed in to sort of maximize them, I guess, uh, you know, despite, despite all the stuff that's going on, that, that, you know, some of the stuff that's been talked about, whether it's, you know, sort of made to create content or whatever, the idea that he's on short leash, some of these things don't really make sense because even as bad as he was, particularly with interceptions, um, you know, his second season, other than the interceptions and some of those were tips and stuff like that, wasn't nearly as bad as as people make it out to be because it was his, his touchdown percentage and his yards per attempt were right there or better than both Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. And uh, particularly Josh Allen was regarded as being successful and people are talking about like, you know, he's, you know, prepared to make her leap or whatever. And Meanwhile, they're like, well, Baker sucks. And, you know, so far in his career, there's just never been a middle ground with him. It's always either he's going to be great or he's going to suck. And it's never allowed him to just sort of be a quarterback, which, you know, it's it's whatever. I mean, that's he had expectations the second he started winning, whereas everybody else is sort of being graded on a curve. Uh, so that is sort of where I think this ends up heading into 2020. And it is kind of funny, though, because you think about some of the, you know, accusations and as far as, you know, the, you know, the arrest, uh, you know, in between his junior and senior year um, and people questioning, you know, whether or not he fit in the NFL. Jameis Winston went one overall and obviously his discretions were a million times more egregious. Um, I, I love the fact where you brought up, you know, the names and the personnel, you know, they what they went for with the plan in 2019 was, you know, all right, well, if he's this good, if we just throw more talent at it, at least talent in their opinion. Uh, you know, it, it, it should just it should just rise. It should just be a better product. Um, you know, part of that is on Freddie Kitchens. You know, I, I think and why Baker was so comfortable with it. And you know, hey, we're you know we're going to run with Freddie here. Is you thought maybe Freddie would grow in the situation? Um, whereas what we learned was Freddie was maybe tapped out. Um, that's what he had. You know, he basically you know shown us you know basically every 
hold card he had. There wasn't much more left that Freddie Kitchens could do. Um, and you take away, you know, Arsenal, that was part of what made Baker so special in 2018. Look, Jarvis Landry was the leading receiver in 18, obviously the leading receiver in 2019. You brought in Odell with both those guys being injured, limited practice time, yada, yada, yada. Rashard Higgins, David Njoku, those two taken out of the equation. Darren Fells taken out of the equation. And Antonio Callaway never finding any resemblance of anything in 2019, whereas he tried to almost dupe everybody in 2019 as to the talent he could be. Duke Johnson, yet another factor in there. That was a huge, huge part of Baker's success in 2018. He pretty much lost everything that he was comfortable with with this offense. And, you know, it was, you know, to expect him to go to greater heights after his rookie season from, you know, with the fact that the supporting cast was essentially all gone except for Jarvis Landry. Um, You had the steady running game, and that was part of the issue there is they weren't smart enough early enough to realize that the running game was the bread and butter and maybe work off of that. And then times where it was, you know, all right, well, we, you know, when they did realize it, a lot of times it was just too late in games. They didn't have enough on defense, whether it was the injuries, you know, obviously mild suspension, no doubt about that as well. But, you know, when they were going against these teams with a defense that was so limited, it was great that Nick Chubb was a fantastic player, but there's only so much you can do with him once you get to the point where you're down by double digits, Pete. Well, I mean, there was just such a discrepancy between, you know, when they when they would start games and were on script and start halves and were on script and then when they weren't. And that's a huge indictment of what they were doing coaching-wise. I mean, you look at it from here. and Freddie Kitchens hired two very qualified, capable coordinators, uh, and and with in the case of Todd Munkin, basically wasted him because you know he, he, Munkin came up with these plans, uh, you know, start out games, start out halves that were good, and then uh, whether he was completely ignored or just you know not not listened to enough, you know you you start going off the script, and there were players who were basically punished because they couldn't run, run stuff that they weren't practicing that was being made up on the fly. And I, I think that hurt Mayfield. I think that hurt, uh, you know, I think Landry is probably the best in terms of just sort of adapting to sort of the, the randomness that they were doing. But, like, th- there were players that got benched over that. that they couldn't run what they were trying to do because they, they, they hadn't practiced it. They were a bunch of young receivers who weren't, uh, you know, being put in any position to succeed. And, you know, when, when you're doing that, you, you have, you know, if you call something, players are, are for the most part going to be confident they can figure it out because they're players. They're, they, you know, they're, they're generally geared to, sort of, yeah, we can do that. And if you draw up some, you know, double handoff wide receiver pass, you know, 60 yards down the field and you try to do that on the fly, they'll tell you, yeah, we can do this. But, you know, in terms of how it actually works and how reasonable those things are and how many plays were just bizarre and made no sense and, and those things add up and the amount of sort of plays lost, wasted, whatever, um, they just weren't where they should be. And those are all things you're you're sitting there, you're, you're, you're saying, you know, these are, these are not issues we're going to have in 2020, at least that's your hope. So, there's just so much that went wrong in his second year that and there are definitely things that are his fault, but uh, there are also a number of things that weren't. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's excusing Baker Mayfield by any stretch, but it's difficult to ignore the reality of just the amount of, amount of things that were just dumb uh, in 2019 from the organization, whether it was Dorsey or Kitchens or, you know, players or whoever. 
And and to his credit, though, you know, Baker understands what exactly this all entails. He was the number one overall pick. He's the quarterback of this team. He is supposed to be the guy to make a difference in the city. So, you know, he lets all this come on to himself. Um, and look, you're not always supposed to lose your cool. And sometimes, look, it, it just happens. You can't control it. Um, but Baker Mayfield can't control the fact that, you know, the head coach says we're going to go for it on fourth and 13 and calls us running back draw. I mean, that's stuff players can't control. You got to execute essentially what you're told. Um, but that's the type of guy Baker is. And, you know, we've talked, I talked about this from you know, one of the reasons, and we talked about why, you know, John Dorsey, they went through the elimination process of which guy was going to be the guy at one. And a lot of it came down to that Rose Bowl week where Baker was sick before they played Georgia, missed, you know, two, three days of, you know, public speaking time. And finally said, look, I'll talk today and got up there and said, look, I am the quarterback of this team. Those guys are not supposed to answer these questions. This is my job. This is what goes along with being the quarterback of this team, said team, whatever it is. And that's where it became where the onus and he said, you know, puts it on himself, which is what you want your guy to do. QB one. That is that is part of the job. Yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, there's a lot of, you know, royalties and BS that comes along with it. But the bottom line is, is, you know, you've got to be responsible. And when things don't go right, you got to be the guy that essentially gets the finger pointed at him. He did, you know, and did that tenfold and, and did a fantastic job with that. Uh, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith here on Lockdown Browns. We're going to continue rolling on through here as we uh, just continue to uh, get yourselves uh, through here, the week here, getting here, you know, obviously almost in mid-May now. Weather's hopefully starting to get a little bit nicer for everybody. Uh, cabin fever. I understand it, guys. Everybody's there. Just be patient. Please, please, please be patient. You don't, last thing you want to do is have everything shut down once again. The best tasting bar. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, it's a mixture of, yes, yeah, a protein bar, but it's sweet. And it's got almost kind of, kind of like a candy taste to it. Built Bar. Uh, the flavors are endless. 16 flavors. Uh, you can go to BuiltBar.com and you can customize your variety pack. So if you're doing it for the first time, pick out the flavors that you like. If you live in a house where you have maybe a, you know, a child or somebody in the house has a nut allergy, there's ways to avoid that. You know, They have products without nuts, products with. Everything's made safely so you can customize your box. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 100% off. An amazing combination of low-calorie, high-protein, and low-sugar. No crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar out there, it's half the calories, seven times fewer the carbs, seven times fewer the sugar grams, and more protein. This taste and why it tastes so good, that's their secret. But again, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and get $10 off your first box. P, a player like Logan Ryan signs today. Um, and then there were the rumors yesterday, and I don't know how you guys got caught up in that one. I mean, yes, there's talk There's talk of if you signed Jadavi and Clowney, would essentially a player like Olivier Vernon be kept? Um, there's no way the Cleveland Browns can trade Olivier Vernon. That's just not going to happen, the amount of money he's making here. But, Pete, until this – these names are done, and now Jason Peters seems to be another one now. The Browns are keeping tabs on Jason Peters, blah, 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 blah. First off, guys, these people have to write stories. That, you know, There's stuff that has to be written that folks want to read. And if you're talking about players who would command a high salary, you've got to find some place that would at least make it work. And the Browns in the position they are in cap-wise, they're still in play for anybody if they chose to do it. The realism or the perception of whether or not it's real or not we don't know because one thing that this front office has done really, really well to this point 
is keep everything in-house and really, really close to the vest? Well, it start, when it comes to Jadevian Clowney, the Browns could sign him and not do a thing, and they'd be fine. They have a ton of cap room. But the, the thing is that that's not because they're playing cheap. They're deliberately doing this because they're setting up, uh, or at least all the evidence points to saving it up so they can make a big splash, have what should be the entire offense under contract except for Kareem Hunt, uh, and then be able to sort of add feature pieces to the defense. Hopefully, you know, this year helps them figure things out. Uh, you're going to lose Olivier Vernon after this year anyway. You're going to have to replace that end spot. Uh, if it's Jadevian Clowney, you know, he's – the story keeps changing on this. There's talk that he was willing to take less, but it would be a short-term deal, which doesn't help the Browns. I mean, even if you were to say – you know, Jadevian Clowney wants to come to the Browns for one year. I mean, you can make the argument that he's better than Vernon, but the Browns may just be happy to have, you know, the perception that they're doing right by Vernon on this, you know, just to sort of, I don't know, sort of send that message that they're not just going to bail on people for the sake of bailing on people. Uh, that might help them in terms of adding players, but it just, I, I, I continue to believe that the Browns are looking at adding one, if not two major pieces next year, whether it's free agency, more likely trade. The draft is still obviously there. Um, and then they obviously have to do things like sign Miles Garrett. They, they're obviously working on that. But I, I think that's the entire reason they got extra draft picks is they want to be in a position where they can add somebody. If there's a, uh, Darius Slay type player out there that's unhappy in their current situation and the team doesn't want to pay them and the Browns can go get them for nothing, whether it's a corner, a safety or that defensive end spot, you know, like a guy like Khalil Mack is making like $35 million a year in Chicago. And, you know, I, just complete guess to say, what if Chicago is really bad next year? Are they going to want to continue to pay him? Or are they going to be looking to sort of move on from that contract? And the answer is they may keep him. But that's sort of what those picks allow you to do is you can sort of be that shopper. Or, you know, if I'm a Browns fan, I'm, my fingers are crossed that Yannick Ngakwe ultimately just re-signs with Jacksonville. Because if he's out there next year, like that's, that becomes a real possibility. Like it makes way more sense next year. They, didn't, they don't need to sort of address some big need. That is the need at this point. Whereas this year was obviously – you know, they needed that left tackle and they got him. So that's sort of where I think this is going. Uh, the Browns, I, I, you know, Boss Cook is Jedevi and Clowney's agent. He's the same agent as Miles Garrett. I have no idea, no, no idea if they've talked specifics, but I'm sure they've talked. And it may be as simple as the Browns sort of set a number. <laughs> Clowney's not interested in that number. And that's why it hasn't come up again. And I, my bet is that's exactly what's happened because. Boss Cook could easily be playing this up that it's, you know, the Browns. And they really haven't been. I mean, the, the, the latest rumor was, you know, from a dubious source to begin with, but I think it's really a <laughs> dot connecting situation where Carson Wentz last week said he basically clears Clowney of blame for the hit. So naturally they must be signing him. Um, but uh, Olivier Vernon is a good player. Uh, there's, they don't need to move him. They don't need to cut him if he doesn't take a pay cut. 
they're in a great spot. I think if the Browns wanted Clowney, they could get him. If they want uh, a guy like uh, Larry Warford, I don't think that's likely to happen, but it's, you know, he is very good. Uh, they could easily do that. They don't have to do, do a single thing to their salary cap to make those moves work. But I think they are focused on uh, they are, are focused on what they have for now. They're 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 going to keep their options open and look for 2021 when they can make a really big splash in a you know a non hopefully God willing non COVID 19 year with a full training camp, full off season, full all those things and be like this is when we're making our play 21 22, and they have the ability to sort of do that and make a real run. Uh, and you, what you're saying as far as, you know, whether it's Walford and, you know, Clowney, I do believe, you know, he, you know, the interest may be there and they may have said, look, this is where we're at. This is what we can do. Um, and for everybody waiting for this to happen, you know, look, when free agency opened, they went out and got Conklin and Austin Hooper. And that stuff was done within about an hour of free agency being open. So if they were truly interested, it, you know, it, it wouldn't be this dalliance. It wouldn't be this dance. It, it, it would have been the aggressive approach. Oh, no, we're going to go get this done. Um, they certainly have the money to make it happen. So as far as that and these names remaining, it, it's going to be more of a, you know, we've spoken to you, if we have, which we don't truly know. It'll be more of we've spoken to you. This is what we're comfortable with. This is what we're willing to do for your player, said player, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if it, co- if it comes back to us, yeah, we're interested if you're going to continue for more, you know, there's talks with, you know, Clowney of, you know, oh, well, maybe, you know, something happens in an injury in camp. Teams aren't going to go out and sign a $13 million defensive end because somebody got hurt in camp. They're either interested or they are not. So that's where it gets a little bit murky. But, you know, the Browns, you know, it's not that they – it's not a question of not being aggressive. It's being where you're at. They've shown if they want something in this new regime and they are, you know, they truly passionate and they truly feel they need it They've been aggressive to this point. So it'll see how that one, uh, you know, these things continue to play out. And for God's sakes, Clowney, could you just sign somewhere? I mean, I don't care where it is, but at this point, it's just getting monotonous and obviously extremely long in the tooth. We're going to get to a little bit more here. Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith on Locked on Browns. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. This one's been rolling around Twitter here, Pete. And this one's actually, I know we did this in some form last year, so we'll get to it here this year. It's most overrated and most underrated, best player, key new addition, because surprise, take a leap. The most, (laughs) and I almost feel like I'm putting this on a tee for you, Pete. The most overrated, Cleveland Brown, Pete. Most overrated. Um, oh. Oh, I, I honestly, it, well, I mean, there, there's a couple obvious ones here, and I feel bad because they're both really young kids. But I, I think it's a tie between Mac Wilson and Greedy Williams. Both of them were pretty bad last year, and yet they got a lot of sort of praise. And Greedy Williams is a different deal. He was hurt, playing a really, really tough position. Uh, and but he he just struggled and got picked on at the end. And a lot of people are like, well, he did pretty good. No, he was really bad, especially at the end of the year, and you know, uh, was not easy. But Mac Wilson was awful. I mean, he was awful. He has no idea what he's doing. Um, I, I think 
his second year is going to be a rude awakening for people. And I won't be surprised if, you know, they're, they're basically like, where's Mac Wilson? And everybody's pointing to the bench or special teams. And I think he actually could have an interesting role based on what they've done to this point, which is, I think he's going to be basically competing to be a backup Mike that goes in on passing downs um, behind BJ Goodson. Cause BJ Goodson can't cover anything um, because the Browns keep talking uh, and this could obviously change if they figure they can't do it. But right now, everything they've been saying is Shinoni Takitaki and Jacob Fields are, are, are competing for Will. And that's where Mac Wilson was playing last year. And I don't think that's going to happen again. So it would make more sense to me to put him behind Goodson, who's there to stop running plays and nothing else. Uh, he can also play on special teams. And then if they want another linebacker on the field, they could put Mac Wilson in there because he's decent uh, running around in coverage when he knows what he's looking at. He just cannot read anything at this point. And hopefully he's getting better at that. But those guys were uh, pretty pretty abysmal. And w- the other part with Greedy Williams is, look, it, Kevin Johnson was brought in to be a third corner, but Kevin Johnson is not going to sit there and not take the second corner job, you know, that starting spot from Denzel Ward when they only have two corners on the field, if Greedy's not up to it, he will snatch you right out. He's a pretty good player. Uh, it's all about health. So, and that would not make Greedy Williams a bad player, or a bad pick. It would just mean that, that when they go from two corners, uh, Denzel and whoever wins that job to three corners, then if, if Kevin Johnson wins that, then he'll move to the slot and Greedy will move that boundary spot. But those are the guys that I'm sitting here, you know, when you're looking at this defense and you're going, well, this is sort of what needs to be sorted out. For me, I, I'm going to go with uh, I'm probably going to go with Greedy Williams here, and I think part of it was mishandled. Um, you know, you watched the preseason and when Greedy Williams was actually on the field, and then all of a sudden it was a few days before the season started. Um, Greedy Williams is going to be a starting cornerback. You know, struggled early, then missed a month, and then what did you do with him after he missed a month? You threw him back out there as a starter against the New England Patriots. It was a recipe for disaster, and it was a recipe of not basically mishandling a young player. Could this Greedy 100% rebound this year? It's certainly a possibility. But, you know, they had Terrence Mitchell. They had TJ Carey. And these guys actually played tough. And these guys played really well against Baltimore, of all teams, for God's sakes, you know, in the wake of, you know, why he and Denzel were out. And it was just the weirdest scenario. Like, they just annoyed him. Granted, he was the first player you selected in the draft, but he wasn't a first-round pick. And just how they handled him, mismanaged him, was really, really strange. And, you know, he, I, I wouldn't doubt that Greedy Williams is going to rebound this year, but I do agree with you where like he was certainly touted and anointed and we didn't see anything last year to certainly coincide with that. The most underrated Cleveland Brown key, Pete. Most, did you say most underrated? Yes, sir. Uh, most underrated, Wyatt Teller. Um, Wyatt Teller was way better than anyone gives him credit for. Uh, he did it. He he played. He, he was a career left guard. Got brought in, you know, basically the last moment before the season started for a fifth and a fifth and a uh, sixth, and they got a seventh back and took over halfway through the season. And yes, he got, you know, he got beat up by Javon Hargrave in the one game, which thankfully he's not in this division anymore. But he gave Baker Mayfield a pocket way better than Eric Cush, and he played reasonably well. And if you're heading into 2020 and Wyatt Teller is sort of your baseline 
I think you're in good shape. He can get better. He needs to get better, particularly as a run blocker, but he's a good pass blocker. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be surprised if Drew Forbes ultimately were to take that job, but that's because I think Drew Forbes is a legit freak that's a perfect fit for this zone scheme. But I think as I watch people come up with incredibly strange combinations of linemen uh, to, to figure this out, including moving uh, uh, moving Jack Conklin to guard and Jedrick Wills to right tackle so they can put Jason Peters or something on the left tackle so we can have all names um, that they like what they have at right guard. They don't want to, they have three premium contracts and a first round pick. They want to be able to, at least, Bill Callahan's a great coach. They'd really like him to find something that doesn't cost, you know, premium dollars. And if they were to get Larry, Larry Warford, he's those guys to make it make sense. But I, I just think Wyatt Teller gets a really bad rap for a really difficult job he had to come in and do last year. And I think he did way better than most people give him credit for. And we had talked about this right guard position, the entire off season. And it was, you know, well, today is his day and to, to tomorrow is his day and the way it all worked out. And at the end of the day, the, you know, the way it worked all it worked out is, you know, none of those guys, you know, Drew Forbes's injury, obviously, you know, sort of told a story with all of that. But they had to go out and get somebody to come in because with all the guys that tried to throw out the position, it never, ever worked out here. Um, I think this one's probably the safest one going, Pete. The Cleveland Browns' best player is – this one's, this one's easy. Yeah, Miles Garrett, his name is close. And, and that sort of underscores how uh, sort of over I – don't, I don't – it's not even overblown because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Jadavion and Clowney is a very, very good player. But he's not Miles Garrett. He's not even close. I mean, Miles Garrett is j- just so so good. Uh, again, uh, he was never going to get it because of the, the the state of the team last year. But before he was suspended, he was he had an argument for Defensive Player of the Year. He was that good. And I, 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 there's no reason to think he's going to get worse. His physical uh, ability and the fact that he, he's still getting better from a physical standpoint, in addition to what he's doing to sort of improve his technique, like, I think, you know, because of the whole suspension and everything that led up to it, I think there's an element of people are sort of forgetting just how good he is because they're caught up in everything else. And, I, I you know, I'm, I'm assuming he is, and I hope he is. He's using this as just more motivation to go out and dominate. Uh, but, because just, 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 just with everything they have going for them on the defensive line, upgrading that group, like he is poised to just have an outstanding. He, he, he almost broke the record for the Browns' uh, team sack record in 10 games. Like it, he was on pace to blow it away. I, I still maintain he can break the record for single season. I, I, I don't know if he'll ever get there, but I, I think he will get to 20 at some point. He's just just a phenomenal football player. And, and, and I wrote about this when he mentioned it, when he was doing his video on that jump, I would hundred percent put him on offense. Absolutely. I would make him a red zone guy all day long. Even if he's a decoy, having him be the third tight end or fourth tight end, I would 100% do that. Hell with his leaping ability, as he jumped over, uh, jumped up on that 60 inch box, I would love nothing more than to see, you know, if they only did it one time ever, him to go freaking uh, 
jump over the pile. Uh, Walter Payton style. Marcus Allen, Walter Payton, and just like basically just jump over the pile at 280 pounds and have nobody touch him because he's just that freakishly athletic. So, yeah, I would absolutely put him on offense. Okay. Um, normally we do this one every year. And if you were to talk about it, you know, key new addition, and it usually would be the number one pick because of the fact that, you know, Cleveland was never able to get those names in here. This year it's a little bit different. Um, key new addition. You got several players, Austin Hooper, Jack Conklin, obviously Jedrick Wills. Where you got Grant Delpit here, biggest key new addition to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to say it's, it's uh, Jack Conklin only because I think he does a couple things. I, I and I'm just ready to be dead wrong on this, but I just expect the Browns to run so much zone left, play action right, uh, because they trust Conklin to protect Mayfield's uh, front side on that and sort of be his personal protector and just create that dynamic. And with Jedrick Wills, and you know, it, we'll see how fast he can sort of you know, get it going on the NFL level. But him and Batonio running front side on zone stretch for Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt with a fullback, it just could force opponents to really uh, add more personnel over there, more resources to try to stop that running game. And then Mayfield's able to come around using his legs. He, he, I, 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 my prediction is he's going to have a bunch of first downs running the ball this year, and I, like a bunch. Because I think they're going to get into this, you know, that boot stuff. And when they can fake it and pull it off, there are going to be times where the defense, you know, gets it, that it's going to be play action. They drop everybody back, and there's nobody there to get him, and he just gets free yardage. Meanwhile, I think they're going to run a lot of levels concepts uh, with, you know, they have a 1,000 tight ends and, and, and some, you know, some talented receivers that can create some real issues for opponents, but just, I just think Jack Conklin and that type of look, I mean, certainly they're going to want to run, run right also, but I think protecting his front side, which is where Bay, Mayfield prefers to roll anyway, is going to be massive for this offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you would go with Conklin because this seemed to be the one here. And I think Austin Hooper, it, it's not to say he's going to be undervalued here, but maybe he'll be underappreciated because, you know, we've talked about the tight end position and, how if you're going to be in this offense here and you look at Kyle Rudolph, so much of it isn't about receiving numbers. And everybody wants, when you talk about best tight ends, they want to talk about, you know, Kelsey and, you know, those types and obviously Gronk and what they do here. But, you know, you're hoping you get a version of Austin Hooper that was Gronk in 2018 with the New England Patriots where, you know, the receiving aspect was a bonus. You got an elite, elite blocker to go along with it. And hopefully in this system, he could be here. We'll throw one more into this. Uh, you know, of this, you know, this Twitter phase that everybody's been doing here. The prove it year candidate for the Cleveland Browns, Pete, is? Uh, the prove it. Dude, that's a good question. Um, I, I'll say Larry Ogunjobi. Um, I, I think uh, I, I, I can't say enough that I think Andrew Billings helps him in the same way I think Danny Shelton was huge for uh, Larry Ogunjobi at the start of his career, I think it's going to allow him to do less of taking just a pounding in the running game and allow him to do more as sort of an athlete and pass rusher, which I think is where he's at his best. Uh, I think, you know, because coming out, I thought he was a better suited as a three anyway. 
And this sort of allows him to be that even if it's for one. He's really quick off the ball. He can do a lot of things like that. And he can cause disruption. And in a situation where you've got, you know, Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon, Adrian Claiborne, uh, you know, the, the rookie, you have so many players that can attack. And, and, and the question is, are, are people going to sort of forget about Ogunjobi? And is he going to have like a, a breakout year in terms of the stats, even if it's not, you know, a superstar season in terms of like, you know, doing it correctly. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if he, you know, basically has a big year and earns his way to a bigger contract that the Browns basically can't afford, or if he's just going to be good enough where the Browns, you know, like to keep him, around and they just keep that group going which is what i hope happens uh you know and larry it's this whole phase of you know just continuing to shrink the body down to more muscle less fat and you know and god bless him for you know trying to look out for what's best for him long term for his body um and maybe that's where billings comes in there's a big key to all this and you know maybe next year you go out and you go ahead and you find more of the traditional danny shelton type of guy or you know billings if it works out a longer you know longer term here in cleveland so to speak i'll start to put a bow on this one here pete over at brown's digest what's the latest from you and the team over there uh let's see i mean it's a lot of you know transitioning from the draft to sort of the off season and sort of getting a sense of where where everything is going obviously you know keeping an eye out on what is actually going to happen in terms of uh you know camps and stuff like that because we're getting to the point now where you know we're running out of football things to talk about in terms of what is actually going on there's the you know without a draft without you know we're not looking at those anymore and it's sort of like waiting for that next sort of step to take place uh, in terms of what's going to happen, where are they going to go, uh, you know, when are they going to be able to get on the field, and those things so we can sort of see where, you know, this starts coming together. Uh, you know, and it was, we're, we're in this holding pattern here. Obviously, you know, the NFL looks like they are all, you know, blazes, all guns are blazing, so to speak. Um, but, you know, time's going to dictate exactly how this all works out and if it works out and when it actually does work out here uh make sure you're checking everything out uh browns digest through si.com make sure you're following browns digest on twitter at browns digest make sure you follow pete at underscore pete smith underscore show itself at lockdown browns always a follow back account dms are open over there uh questions ideas for the show we're always open to them i know this is the time of the year where you know you guys can get to fuel the show a lot more obviously within season uh you were more on schedule draft free agency things of that nature here you guys want you know topics stuff put into this by all means you know go ahead and reach out and we'll be glad to accommodate you in that respect uh me personally at jeff underscore lj underscore lloyd dms are open there as well uh just continuing here just trying to give you guys you know provide you guys with the best content that we can uh these crossovers they'll end this week we'll get back to a normal uh more normal schedule next week and going further here and as far you know just covering brown stuff and exactly what you guys want to do here but you know look we you know got a game plan here and it's nice to do these crossovers and then have like a, you know, preemptive stuff to view. And it's something to basically tee off from when we actually get to the crossovers during the in-season weeks here of the 2020 season. This has been your daily delivery of all things dog pound LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.